0: Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Again, I want to welcome you to Believer's Church. Welcome to the Big Ten. You saw the theme out there in the lobbies. Uh, The Big Ten Conference is very dear up here in Northeast Ohio. We had a pretty good day yesterday. And uh, I love the Big Ten. I love sports. But in this series, we're talking about God's Big Ten, which is the Ten Commandments, and we discovered that the Ten Commandments, one of their purposes, they're like God rails, that if we understand them, they keep us from walking over the cliffs of life. They're like a standard for us Christians, and we say, this is God's standard of purity, and then we strive to to match up to that standard and go beyond that standard. Today, we're going to take a look at the Seventh Commandment. It's real short, and here's how it reads. Exodus 20:14, you must not commit adultery. This is a tough commandment. And I know in this room, I know listening, I know in all of our services, there are people in here that have gone through this. You may have been the victim. You may have been the one that had the affair. And I'm gonna lace this message with mercy and with God's grace. But I also, especially for our younger generation, I want to pound in that god rail so we understand the heart of god and most importantly i'm going to talk about marriage and what god created it to be and why adultery is what it is because we understand what marriage is i remember when i was in bible school i received a phone call it was from someone here i grew up in trumbull county so a friend of mine called me and they told me that their pastor the church they were attending at the time was in the middle of an affair. And they, they went on to tell me that his pastor or the person that was his mentor, they were in the town where I was going to Bible school and they asked me if I'd go speak to him and let him know what was going on so he could reach out and try to help the situation and i was really nervous i went to a, a big church there and i was involved but this was another church it was also big and i had met this pastor but that's that's a pretty difficult thing to walk in make an appointment and talk about but i did and I, and i shared it with him and he was real quiet he wrote everything down and shook my hand said thank you so he called me the next day and he said hey i called the local pastor and he said uh, he told me nothing's going on that that's a false rumor and and he thanked me and i said you know thank you and I went on, and two hours later, the local pastor here called me, and he, he, let, he lit in to me. And, and I told him, I said, I didn't tell a soul. I just told your mentor, and if it's not going on, everything's cool, and, and uh, you know God, God will definitely justify you in his eyes. And I hung up, and the next day, I received a call from the out-of-town pastor, his mentor, and he called me and said, hey, guess what? He goes, the local pastor's wife called me and said, it's all true. And, uh, and it is happening. And then he said the local pastor got on the phone and fessed up to it, and, uh, and, and, and they got in there, they tried to help, the church fell apart unfortunately. And um, when I started Believers about six or seven months later, um, it was the craziest thing. I was 24, Gina was 20. We were engaged to be married, so I, I was, we weren't even married yet. I'm just a young guy. It's the first time I've ever pastored, coming right out of Bible school. And uh, in in our first year, we had four people that came over that were having an affair. They were all out of that church. And typically, if a pastor has an affair, you'll have a higher number within that church. It somehow opens a door. If the pastor isn't having an affair, you'll still have it happening. But it happens at a much higher level because there's just a door that's open in that on-scene realm. And so here I am, 24, and they're popping up one at a time. And I'm having to deal with them. And I learned a few things right at the beginning. First thing I learned was that adultery is painful. It's painful to the victim, the other mate. It's painful to the family that's around. But you know what else I learned? I learned God's faithful and God's grace is amazing. And out of those four, two of those marriages were restored. And 31 years later, they're still... Uh, happily married and strongly married. And I don't know about you, but w- can we take a minute and just thank God for his grace? That's, that's absolutely wonderful, guys. It's wonderful. So my heart is not to condemn anybody. Uh, we have to put the standard up there. It, but if you failed, the idea is, hey, let's go on and let's not fail again. Let's, let's go on from here and let's begin to grow into the purity that God teaches us in the Bible. But let's talk a little bit about grace because I've noticed after 31 years of pastoring, so many Christians walk in condemnation. They're self-condemned over things they did, not just this area, but every area. They sin, they make mistakes, and they just feel like God doesn't like them, God doesn't love them. So I wanna read two scriptures. The first one is 1 John 1, 9, and it reads like this. It, It says, but if we confess our sins to him, he can be depended on to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. And it is perfectly proper for God to do this for us because Christ died to wash away our sins. You know, Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. He didn't just die for us to accept him and that's, he just died for that one time. Jesus died for everyone in this room. He died for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. They're all paid for. And this verse is all about you and I in our hearts, repenting and making it right with God, knocking out that sin that blocks us in our relationship with him. So notice the first part of the verse, if we confess our sins to him, he can be dependent on to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. When I was a young boy in school, I used to always volunteer uh, to clean the chalkboard. And I just, I love cleaning chalkboards. And you know how after the teacher erased them, you couldn't see what was written on there, but you still had that film of chalk, and I'd get that sponge, put it in soapy water, and I'd wash that board, and I used to love to see that black shine. It was incredible, and this next verse reminds me of that. L- listen to the next verse, Isaiah 43:25. It talks about God's forgiveness. He says, yes, uh, I alone am he who blots away your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. The word blot means to wipe clean, like the chalkboard. And and when you repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, he blots it out. he washes it clean. There's no chalk residue. And I love what it says here. He says, I'll never think of them again. Another translation says, I remember them no more. And oftentimes when we apologize and say, Lord, I sinned, forgive me. We think that the next day God still ticked off. He's still mad. We think somehow god will put us in the doghouse it's like joe that's the second time you did that i'm not going to answer your prayers for six months joe i'm not even going to help you for six months i'm mad at you joe no god absolutely forgives now if you're the victim and and your maid had an affair you you can't forget like god can and it's going to take you time to heal up that takes time and and so there will be some doghouse moments if that relationship's going to go on and people have to get over it and people have to walk through it and yet God is faithful guys and when it comes to God I don't care what you've done if you're a Christian if you repent the Bible says he washes it away and when you go to heaven he's not going to say oh I got to deal with you on this if you truly repented he remembers it no more he doesn't think about it no more I don't know about you but I'm glad we have a Savior. Anybody, anybody in here glad that Jesus died for our sins? I'm excited about it, man. And then, if you're not a Christian, the Bible teaches us when you accept Him the first time, everything you ever did is washed away. So you and I, uh, we live in a culture that just pushes this thing called adultery and sexual looseness. And I think this is amazing. Uh, check this. Check this out. In our American culture. Uh, There's a website called ashleymadison.com, and you know what their slogan is? Life is short, have an affair. They have 20 million subscribers, and this is what's bombarding America. Their biggest days to advertise are New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and Father's Day. That's when they do the heaviest advertising. And we have an enemy out there. He's working in this world system, and he's trying to make people think that the grass is greener over in some areas where the grass is not greener, over in those areas, yet he wants us to think that. Check this out in American culture, 66% of people that marry cohabited first. And I know we live in a culture like this. When I was growing up, if that number was 10%, I'd be shocked. But now it's 66%. And that's just the ones that get married, there's still a higher percentage that are just living together. Now, understand, guys, I know that's part of our culture. I know many young people do not want to be hypocritical. So they're thinking, here's what they're thinking. I have a house here, you have a house there. We're having sex in my house one night, your house another. Why pay two mortgages? If we're going to have sex, just let's live together. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm telling you that's what people are thinking. And the root isn't cohabiting. The root is purity and not understanding purity. God created sex... For marriage, and you have to read the Bible to learn that. But I, I think everyone in this room has enjoyed a fireplace at one time or another. And I love to sit in front of a fireplace. I love to hear the wood crackle and look into the fire. And uh, people say that's what a uh, caveman did. And, and now we replaced it. We replaced it. Us guys, we replaced it with the remote, just staring at the TV. But they they used the fireplace for that. And and the fire is beautiful. But how many of us can agree that that same fire can burn a house down it can burn down an entire forest and fire not contained is not a blessing it's trouble and sex within marriage is like that fireplace that's what god created it for sex outside of marriage it's like a forest fire and you may think that it's not harming you you may think that you know it, there's no harm done but what it will do outside of marriage is it will will clog your thinking, you'll end up hooking up with people you shouldn't hook up with, you'll be blinded to things, and then you miss out on the very reason that God created it, and it's just created within the marriage union. Now, take a look at these stats. It just shows you the power of marriage. Adultery when married versus cohabiting. Uh, When married, 22% of men admit to having an affair. When cohabiting, 57% of men admit to having an affair. It goes up 35%. When married, 14% of women admit to having an affair. When cohabiting, 54% of women admit to having an affair. That's 40% higher. That, that one shocked me. So I want you to think about this. I have two daughters. Not too long from now, they'll probably, they're dating steady. We'll have, we'll pick the day. They'll pick the day. They'll be the dress you know, there'll be the the ceremony that's planned, there'll be the reception, you know, we'll all celebrate, we'll have a great time, and there's something about saying, we're going to pick a day, we're going to make a commitment that changes those stats, and when you cohabit, it's kind of like, well, we like each other, let's give it a shot, and you see, (coughs) excuse me, that there's a huge difference between the two, and what I want to help you to understand is why. Why? Why is there a difference? Why is it that when you're married, there's less a chance of doing this? And and those percentages aren't all Christians. So Christians that begin to understand marriage, man, affairs and adultery is out of the question because they understand what marriage was created to be. So. Here's what I want to help you walk out, understanding more clearly than you ever have. Marriage is a covenant witnessed and united by God. It's not just a civil union. I've married many people over the years, and as I do those ceremonies, I fill out the state papers, you know, and uh, I mail one in to the courthouse, and then I give them an official document, and it's legal. It's a civil relationship. But God says it goes beyond that. God says that I witnessed the wedding day. I was there. I watched it happen. I watched you commit to each other. And God says I actually united you. There's something that happens in the unseen realm. And when you begin to understand it, you look at your mate a lot differently. Um, Check this out. Malachi 2.13. Here's another thing you do. God's rebuking them. They walked away from him you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. Translated, God's not answering their prayers. Verse 14, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained faithful, a faithful partner the wife of your marriage vows. So I wanna explain and set this up. This could also be the man and not the woman. It could reverse. And if you're here and this has happened, again, if you repent, this is all about you going on from this place. And this is all about you being faithful with the vows you made now. So make sure you understand that. And we talked about grace. I'm gonna end this talking about the grace and forgiveness of God. But what I want you to see is in verse 14, the Lord witnessed the vows. It's just not a civil union. God says, I witnessed that, those vows. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, verse 15, he says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And so he's telling us marriage is something, notice the beginning of the verse, where God unites us and he makes us one. It's not just a civil union, this is spiritual. And God says, listen, when you say I do, I'm making you one on the inside, your spirits, and I'm uniting them. And when you begin to understand that, it takes marriage to another level. Our culture doesn't understand that. Our culture has no clue. But within the church, we need to teach, especially our young people, but all of us. Man, marriage is something... That has been witnessed by god and united by god and that person you're married to you're one with them and god has created this incredible precious union and god has made it for that to be the thing that fulfills you and if you understand it it will bring great fulfillment into your life but again we live in a culture that doesn't understand it but that's why god's so serious about it that's why he wrote the seventh commandment because he says man I united you together. And so I want to just go over a couple things, help us out. The first one is just making sure we understand what adultery is. And the first one is obvious. It's any type of sexual activity outside of marriage, when you are married. And then number two is imagining sex in your mind while married. And I remember when I accepted Christ at 19, and I was into pornography, I was sexually active, and I accept Christ. And then I begin to read scriptures. I'm gonna read one in a moment. And I used to say, to, I used to say God, you're, you're ruining my life. I, I mean, this is, this is hard. And why, why are you doing this to me? I didn't understand at that time. And I remember reading this scripture, and it really, really messed my life up. Matthew 5, 27, 28, or so I thought. It said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Translated is fantasizing mentally. Pornography would come into that realm. So here's Jesus. The seventh commandment already existed, and everybody knows you can't commit adultery. Now Jesus comes and says, you know, guys, you, th- you think you're doing good because physically you haven't stepped out. But let me tell you, I want you to purify your minds. And if you think it in your mind and you dwell on it and you fantasize over it, it's the same as doing it. And that's what I mean when I say Jesus began to ruin my life. He shook it up. But I'm glad that he shook it up because he helped me to see that the inside is as important as the outside. Now here's number three, and this happens with some. It's what I would call emotional love or attachment. And typically, you don't even know this is happening. People keep it quiet. Sometimes it becomes a little bit expressive. I have a a pastor that was saying, uh, another pastor, he was saying he had uh, two people in his church, and uh, they were both married, but they were meeting on Friday mornings at a grocery store, and they were getting their buggies, and they were walking through the store together shopping, and then they'd have coffee, but they were saying to the pastor and to their mates, because the mates aren't happy. Can you imagine why the mates weren't happy? And, and, uh, but they're saying to the pastor, we're just friends. We're just friends. And of course, he had to do what I would have to do, what, what any pastor would have to do, and say, you know what? Maybe that's true now. I can't judge your heart. But if you keep hanging out together, this is going to turn into something ugly, and it has to, it has to stop. And so there's three ways, emotional attachment in God's eyes is, is, is just as wrong. And the idea is marriage is something that God has witnessed, it's something that He's united, and it's something that's really, really precious, and God wants us to purify ourselves. And here at Believers, if you come any length of time, you know where my heart's at. We, we have a motto here, one of our core values, no perfect people allowed. And I realize people are in here right now struggling in areas, and I hope you understand my heart. My heart is, hey, you can go up and you can become pure in any area of your life. You just begin to make those decisions. You might need some people to help you, but God will help you. You know, the stats say that 10% of men, I think it's pretty close for women, have sexual addictions. And when someone has a sexual addiction, that's just 10%. When they have a sexual addiction, You're going to need special help. It's like someone that's an alcoholic or has a chemical dependency. And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling and you have that type of addiction, you need to go to a professional Christian counselor and you need to get some help. You can go to the website for Psychology Today and you can put in whatever you're looking for and they'll tell you what counselors specialize in what things. They'll tell you which ones are Christians, which ones aren't. And it really helps if you don't know who to go to, you can find somebody to go to. Check this next stat out. Uh, The fear of being caught stops many Americans from having an affair. When I first looked at these stats, I was a little bit upset. Um, And and here's why. 74% of men say they'd have an affair if they knew they wouldn't be caught. And this one shocked me. 68% of women say uh, they'd have an affair if uh, they knew they wouldn't be caught. And you realize this is Christian and non-Christian so in this room these stats would not be the same because we're following Christ and but this is a this is a slash of our culture and that's important for you to understand and I read this and I thought whoa why would why would that be the reason they don't have an affair uh, why, why wouldn't it be because they fear God and want to please Him and they love their mates And I want to help to bring that out as we progress a little bit further today. And here's a scripture, Proverbs 6, 27 through 29. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? I would say no. Uh, Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. The, The word unpunished means there's consequences. It's going to impact your life. It's going to impact and it's going to really destroy many lives when that type of thing happens. So I was in Bible school and I I had this married woman. She caught me when no one else was around and I knew her and I knew her husband. And she comes up to me and she says, I want to go to bed with you. So I said to her, I'm not sleepy. And uh, (laughs) I wish I would have. I wasn't that quick. I'm not that quick on on the spot. But I did say I said you're married. Why would I go to bed with a married woman? And she said this, she said no one will know. And here's what I told her. I said God will know. And I cannot do that to God and I cannot do that to your husband. But I went on to tell her this, I said if you were single and you asked me this question, I would say no because God's called me to purity and I'm waiting to have sex until I'm married. And I think about that day and I think about my my response and do you know about two months later I met Gina? We met for the first time about two months after that event and I think you know, If I wouldn't have known the standards of God and took that stance, I would have went into a tailspin. I probably would have never met my wife and I probably would have never pastored and my life would have probably just took a nosedive from that part on. I wouldn't be here, I'm sure. Could God have restored me? Yes, but it would have have taken a long time when you take that step and it would have been a matter of me being able to wanna be restored, the whole deal. And I'm so thankful and I know you are for the grace of God and the strength of God that can help us. But I share that story to say, the reason we don't want to cross that line is because we know we're one with our mate and we love and adore our mates and we fear God and we want to please God. It's not about getting caught. It's about knowing God is our God and these are the standards that our God has set up and declared. So I'm going back and forth, Grace, little hardball, grace, little hardball. You know, I'm being, being tough. I mean, I'm reading tough scriptures. Man, I want our culture, the young people in here, man, I want you guys to understand that you're living in the culture that is trying to teach you something that's going to take you over a cliff. It's going to destroy your lives. And I could give you name after name after name of people whose lives have been destroyed. But now let's go back to grace. Uh, I love this. There's this woman who uh, these religious leaders caught her, and they caught her in the act of adultery. And, and I'm imagining they just put a blanket around her. They pulled her out to where Jesus was teaching. They humiliated her at the highest level. And let's take a look at what happened. John eight four and five. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And that was part of the law at that time to keep that sin from spreading. Verse six. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and again and he wrote in the dust. You know, preachers and Christians throughout history, we, we have tried to guess. We wondered, what did Jesus write in the dust? I can't wait to get to heaven to find out. I mean, was he playing tic-tac-toe? or I don't know what he was doing, man. Who knows? But I love what he said. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Haven't all of us fallen in some area? Don't all of us trip up and have to ask God for forgiveness in all kinds of areas? So listen to verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Verse 11, no, Lord, she said, and I love this, I love this. Jesus is saying this to you right now. And Jesus said, neither do I, go and sin no more. I love that. You know, if we listen to some people's interpretations of the scriptures, you know, adultery, is the unpardonable sin. And if you as a Christian commit it, you're going to burn in hell for the rest of your life. And I think you can see that I'm pretty serious telling you this is something we don't do. But does it mean if someone fails in that area, they're done? No, Jesus said, make a decision, go and sin no more. And he said, I forgive you. I don't condemn you. And I think that's important. If, if we can't be forgiven We're all done. I mean, we get cleaned up one time when we accept Jesus, and then I would have been out of the race the first week. Okay, after I accepted him, be like, okay, if I'm gonna get, if I'm gonna go to hell now that I'm falling, this was all a waste of my time, Jesus. I'd like to become pure, but it's gonna take me a while. I'm sincere, but I have to grow, Jesus. I have to mature, and I want to leave you with this thought, man, that I don't care where you're at. If this woman would have came back a second time and failed again. Jesus would have said, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. And that's what God's constantly saying to us. All right, pick yourself up. You repented. Now let's do something to change our lives forever. Let's grow. Let's purify ourselves. Am I making some sense, guys? Let's let's close this. Let's give God a shout. Let's thank him for his mercy. We love your mercy, Lord God. Thank you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I've done my best to teach a really difficult part of the Bible, and Lord, you know my heart. I didn't want to add more condemnation on those that have failed, and Lord, I I, I didn't want to take the the man or the woman that was on the other side of this and, and stir up old wounds, and Lord, I know your grace and the Holy Spirit helped that not to happen, but Lord, our heads are bowed in prayer, and there are some in here, not many, but some father who have to make this area right in their lives in one way or another. And what a great time to do it. If you're here and you say, that's me, man, make it right with God right now. No one has to hear you. Just say, Lord, I'm going to walk away from this thing. It could be mental. It could be emotional. It could be physical. I'm going to walk away from this thing. And then I want to encourage you, if you're involved in it, you're going to need professional counseling. And I encourage you to take that step because your thinking has to change. Lord, we thank you for marriage. Oh, my, my, thank you for marriage. Thank you for witnessing it. Thank you for uniting us, making us one. Lord, I pray for every marriage in this church, and my prayer is, Lord, that you take every marriage up to the next level. Father of intimacy, Father, the next level of friendship, and I just thank you for blessing the marriages that are here at Believers and the marriages of everyone listening. Father, thank you for your mercy. We, we appreciate it. Thank you for growing us in purity, Lord. Father, I thank you that there are people here to think I can never, ever be sexually pure. I thank you for opening up their heart to see that it is possible, Lord God. Thank you. Guys, let's just stay in that attitude prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe there's some folks here and you say, Pastor Joe, I can't remember the first time when I made it personal with Jesus, you may have grown up in church and you may have, uh, you know, spoken, wrote prayers and over and over again, and that's nothing wrong with that. But this is all about what have you done in your heart? Can you remember a time from your heart when you prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior? And if you can't, here's what I want to ask you today: Do you believe the good news that He died for you? That God raised Him up out of the grave? That He's the Savior? If you do, I'd like to pray with you right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And if you say, Pastor Joe, I'm ready today to call on his name. He said, anyone that calls on my name, I'll save them. He said, if you believe in me, he said, I'll give you eternal life. So if you're here and you say, that's me, would you pray with me? Everyone else in the room, would you help them pray? Say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sins. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. I call on your name. Save my soul. I make a decision today to follow you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.